Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as He makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Good morning, Missio Day. Uh, my name is Jimmy. I am one of the pastors here, uh, along with Pastor Tiana, uh, who we have already met this morning. Uh, and I'm super, super thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, we've had, we're, I think Tiana has brought us back a little bit, but we had a little bit of a chaotic morning this morning, right? So I just want to take a second. Let's take a deep breath. And find ourselves present in this place. Uh, a couple things that I just want to add to some of the announcements. Um, for our Exodus uh, ministry meeting on Wednesday, uh, if you are like, I am not at capacity to be a good neighbor or to sort of like have a consistent meeting time, this, me- this pl- space is not just for those who like feel like they have a consistent ability to meet with people right now. It's a cross-cultural training uh, so that we become a place that is more and more welcoming to those who did not grow up here. Um, second thing uh, is on Ash Wednesday in uh, Wrigleyville, I just wanted to give you a heads up that I'll be preaching, and so I understand who, for those of you who will be avoiding that, yeah, once, once a week is enough probably, um, but no, I, I did want to invite you to that. I'm really, really excited. Uh, it's going to be a really great time uh, just to center ourselves on the fact that we are mortal, right, which is always fun, um, but no, I'm excited. I want to ask you a question this morning to to start. If someone were to ask you to describe your walk with Jesus right now, what words would you use? What words would you use? Maybe it would be words like thriving, abundant, restful, joyful. Or some of you might be laughing at those because you're a little bit more in the surviving, tired, holding on camp. While I know most of you very, very well, I can't say necessarily where all of us are, right? But I know that in my experience over the years of walking with people who are attempting to walk with Jesus, we are more often than we'd like to admit surviving a lot more than we are thriving, right? And if it's okay with you all, uh, I I would like to be just straight up honest from the jump. Um, This week in particular for me, well, is it okay with you? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I, didn't, I acted like I asked for permission, but I didn't. Um, this week was a pretty rough week for me. Uh, I don't know what it was, but there was just like a lot of anxiety. Um, well, I know what it was, but, and I'll talk about it. But there was just like a lot of anxiety that was welling up in me. Uh, there, there were parts where I was just having a really hard time connecting with God. I think a lot of this anxiety transitioned to my relationship with him. Uh, usually insecurity is not a huge deal for me, but some of this anxiety led to just like some insecurity with my relationship with God, right? Am I okay? Am I enough? Am I blank, right? And a lot of this led to just like a lack of energy where it was just really, really hard to continue to center God. And I think some of that, some of the root of that was the overwhelming reality of our current cultural context that Tiana began to hit on. Uh, But I want to talk a little bit from our country, so I did want to give you a a content warning that I'm going to be talking about the response of some, particularly some in the church, to migrants and those seeking refuge in our country. So just a quick content warning. I understand if you need to step out. 
This week, Texas, in particular their governor, have attempted to block federal responses to migrants by installing more razor wire along the border between Texas and Mexico. Governor Abbott has refused efforts to take down wire in instances where medical aid is needed for migrants either stuck in the wire or drowning in the river. This has led to a standoff between the United States federal government and 25 Republican governors supporting Texas. In response to the standoff, Ted Cruz tweeted the following picture. Come and take it. While this response has been hard to process for me, what has been even harder has been a large response from self-reporting Christians in our nation. A few not very well-known pastors that I follow on Twitter have tweeted out against this, uh, this message, and they've been flooded with Christians dehumanizing the migrants and using the Bible to say they are getting what they deserve. And I just want to say this, regardless of your politics surrounding the border, the ways in which people are talking about other human beings made in the image of God is not of the kingdom of God. The narratives and rationales surrounding the responses have been, have been crafted intentionally and propagated in order to justify a selfish and fear-driven ideology around people who do not look like them or do not look like us, right? Why am I sharing this? How does this relate? First off, as I preached a few weeks ago, narratives surrounding people groups in our country have always and continue to carry significant weight. And they influence the way people behave toward others and the laws that are voted into effect in our country, right? We talked about this with people who are unhoused in our community. It's the same thing for uh, migrants within our community. We will always be a church that preaches for life abundance and against the dehumanizing and dignity-robbing narratives when they arise. I just want to make that clear, right? But I also bring this up because I just want to say with everything that Tiana brought up, um, with this situation, we, have in a, we live in a really, really confusing time, right? Not that there are just confusing narratives around different political issues, but it's often really confusing the way that other Christians or the way the church behaves in situations like this, right? I know for me, I step back and I'm just like, God, why are people who follow a, a God of grace responding to other people like this, right? I hesitated to talk about these responses because my intention is not to punch down on who we would perceive to be different than us or outside of our tribe. That is not my intention. That just leads to us having less grace and gentleness in our own lives, right? Often that response is a way that we seek to justify ourselves. At least I'm not like that. I'm a good Christian, right? But that is not rooted in the gospel. But I also want to acknowledge the reality that many of us are processing. The reality that sometimes the way the church behaves affects our view of God more than we realize or care to admit. Maybe this is just me, right? But I, I, I think I know that this often affects many of us, right? And this difficulty in our relationships with God creates in us anxiety, self-doubt, and we're going to talk about the solutions this morning, just to be clear, but I do want to say this from the jump. It is okay if you are not okay. It is okay to have questions, to have doubts, 
to process things and not to avoid hard questions. I just want to say that from the jump. This is actually not related much at all to what I'm going to be talking about, but I do want to say this. Doubt, doubt is not the antithesis, antithesis of faith. Doubt is not the antithesis of faith. Unbelief is, okay? Doubt is okay. It's a part of the human reality. This room, this church, is not a place where we ask you to be perfect or to lie about being perfect. But it's a room where even in this hardness, we're still going to point to the goodness that is God, even when it's hard to believe. So this morning, I want to talk about that goodness. I want to talk about the goodness of God. And the, to- the goodness of God that I'm going to talk about this morning isn't not one that we always talk about in our churches, but is vital to understand when we feel stuck. But first, before I do that, let me pray. Lord, we we thank you for the space. We thank you for this time to just process things that we're going through, process where we are in our relationship with you or in our relationship with others, Lord. I pray that this time uh, is about your name, not mine. I pray that's what what's remembered is from you and not me, Lord. Help me to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So just a reminder of where we have been in our preaching series. Uh, we are currently in a series called A Church for Uptown. Uh, and just so y'all who are regulars know, we're going to be in this series for two more weeks, and then we're going to jump into a Lent series. Um, but during this series, A Church for Uptown, we've explored some of our goals and direction as a church. Those goals are tangible discipleship, being known in the Uptown public square, sustainability of ministry, and to foster a spirit of reliance. Now, most of our series has been focused on number two, being known in the public, Uptown Public Square, or rather, reviewing what, are we, what we are known for and what do we want to be known for. What are our values, right? But this morning, I want to talk a little bit about number four, fostering a spirit of reliance. And to do that, I, I just want to warn you, I'm going to talk a little bit about some theology Uh, but it is coming to relevance. So we're going to be in Hebrews 8, talking about some of this deeper theology, and then we'll get to that. So let's go ahead and jump back in to Hebrews 8. Starting in verse 6, I know Chris already read it, but um, we don't always listen to Chris, so let's go ahead and reread part of it. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. He's in the hallway, so I can say that. Uh, Starting in verse 6, it says, but in fact, the ministry, ministry Jesus has received is as superior to the high priest's as a covenant of which he has mediated, stay with me, this is why, right, uh, is superior to the old one, since a new covenant is established on better promises. Okay, this makes no sense when you, like, read through it quick the first time, right, and aren't thinking about it. What the heck is this saying? Now, it helps to recognize what the whole point of the book of Hebrews is. The whole point of the book of Hebrews is to clearly lay out the importance of Jesus in our lives, Now, that's sort of the whole point of the whole Bible, right? But this one is a little bit more like literal. It's literally, Hebrews, the structure literally is Jesus is greater than X. Jesus is greater than X. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than us. Jesus is greater than all, right? And Hebrews 8 is no different in that theme. You see, right before this, the writer was discussing how the old structures of faith pre-Jesus, were incredibly important because what they did was they pointed to things to come, right? So the way that we practice things, we're pointing to Jesus. 
Uh, but because it was merely pointing to what was coming, or actually who was coming, it wasn't God's end plan, but rather a means by which he was highlighting the necessity of Jesus, right? This will make a little, if that didn't make sense, this will make a little bit more sense in a minute. You see, God is a God of covenant. We've talked about covenants before, but just a reminder, covenant is a binding agreement with relational elements. We have covenants in our culture. We call them marriages, right? There are other types of covenants, but we usually sign paperwork uh, to deal with covenants. But because they didn't really use paper as much uh, in the ancient Middle East, they would have binding agreements uh, by people's word, right? And covenants were incredibly common to enter with people in ancient Middle East. And so, because people of the ancient Middle East were used to covenants, God presented his relationship with the Israelites at first as a covenant. They would already have some understanding of what that would look like, so he presented himself as that, right? And he does this through Moses. Anytime the Bible, now there was a, actually a covenant before, there were covenants before Moses, uh, p- particularly with Abraham, but anytime the New Testament refers to the first covenant, it is talk, talking about God giving Moses the law, right? So think Ten Commandments plus a little extra on how to build the temple and other things, right? It laid out what the community following God would look like in practice, what the community of God would look like following God in practice. We're not stealing from each other. We're not murdering each other. We're not worshiping God or other gods. We are worshiping God and only God, just to be, yeah, just to be clear. And it wasn't exactly like this, but uh, it's a little bit more complicated, but just for time's sake, in return for following the law, God was their God. That was his promise, right? That he, God would be their God. He would protect them, draw himself near to them, things of that nature. But of course, there were mediators between God and the people that would advocate for the people. Why did, they need, why did we need mediators? The people were supremely aware that they fell short of their end of the covenant, and, or at least they were made aware. And so every year, the priests would advocate for the people by making sacrifices, representing an offering for their sin. Seems like a good system, right? And yet, this is where Hebrews 8 comes in. The writer, writer, in talking about the first covenant, the old covenant, says that Jesus' ministry is greater than the high priests who were part of the old covenant, because the new covenant is greater. Now, if you have grown up in church, this statement might not be super shocking to us, but if we're hearing this letter for the first time, this would have been super shocking, right? Not only would it have been challenging to our former way of thinking, but the writer had literally just said four chapters earlier that the old covenant was the gospel or good news. I have two uh, just verses here. You can look at them later. Uh, In reference to the old covenant coming to the people, it says, for good news came to us just as to them, those who formerly received the good news, right? So it's, it's talking about this as good news. And think about this, not only that, but this was God's word, right? How would this, if we go back to um, verse 8, right? Is that verse 8? In Hebrews 8. Um, actually, hold on, sorry, verse 7. My fault. Uh, if this was God's word, why does it say that there was, there was something wrong with the covenant, right? Well, let's look at it. Uh, here we are. Look, look at verse 8 and 9 now. But God found fault with the people. Where's the fault in the old covenant? 
It's with us, right? It's with God's people. The author of Hebrew confirms this through his interpretation of Jeremiah 31, which is what he's quoting here when it says this. So let me read this. It says, the days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenants I made with their ancestors, aka the first covenant, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. In other, in other words, it was not the covenant that was imperfect. God's law, his word was not imperfect. It was the people unable to keep their side of the covenant that was imperfect. And what is God's response? It's not to get rid of the problem because that would be getting rid of people, right? His solution is to establish a new covenant, a second covenant. The writer of Hebrews continues with quoting Jeremiah. He says, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It's good news for some of us. For I will forgive, that was a joke about being the least of us. Um, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So what do we have as a difference between the new versus the old? Well, remember how the people received the law? It was on tablets through Moses, right? That he initially broke. And yet, in the new covenant, how do they receive the law? I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. What does this mean? Well, like I said, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 31 here. And while Jeremiah doesn't necessarily clarify what he means by writing the law on their hearts, uh, another prophecy does clarify uh, the prophet Ezekiel in 30, uh, chapter 36 clarifies some of what this will look like. It starts in verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back in your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will, re- I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here it is. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to, oh, that's super small, sorry. And be careful to keep my laws. But there it is, verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The way in which we know and keep the law is through the Holy Spirit. I want, okay, if you, if you checked out because you're like, I don't like all this like theology talk, I need you to come back with me because this is the really good part. The good news of the gospel is not just that we have received the means by which we are justified. The good news of the gospel is that we have also received the, men, the means by which we are sanctified. In other words, you're like, those were still theology words. Okay. In other words, Jesus's life, death, and resurrection did not just cover the penalty of our sin. He did not even just give us new identities as daughters and sons of God. He gave us the way we look more and more like those daughters and sons of God. And that is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You see, the old covenant had stipulations for both sides. God would be their God and the people would follow his commands. And while there are still two sides of this covenant, we are called into holiness, into following God. God is the one who upholds both sides here. Think about it. 
he, he's still going to be our God, right? But now he, the Holy Spirit is God, he in indwelling us also upholds our end. He in his perfect character continues to be God, and the Holy Spirit perfectly gives us the ability to live out our end. That is wild. I, I like, you guys are a little quiet, except for Derek, thank you. But that is a wild reality, that the God of grace upholds both ends. Now, this doesn't mean that the covenant is null and void when we do not keep in step with the Spirit, right? The gospel is still the gospel of grace. Even after we accept it, we do not become perfect, at least not all of us. But it gets, I'm kidding, none of us, but it gives us the opportunity to live out life abundance in every moment of our lives. This is wildly radical, that the good news is that we are not called to white-knuckle our way through life, but that we are called to rely on God in all that we do for his empowerment, right? That's good news. And now, I I just want to give a little caveat. Clearly, the Holy Spirit existed before the new covenant. He is God, but the good news is that he now indwells in us, right? And this is exactly why one of our goals as a church is to foster a spirit of reliance. It's because we were made to rely on God's redeeming power to help us grow into who we have already been made in Christ, and that's through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean, though, to rely on the Spirit, right? I think that that's where we sort of get, like, stuck. We're like, especially in our American context, we get a little scared that pe- uh, of some things that people are going to say, right? Um, but let me give you a couple of quick points on what it does not mean. Relying on the Spirit does not mean let go and let God, okay? In other words, we do not sit around and wait to become more loving or patient, right? We don't just sit in a room by ourselves and wait until we're good, right? Uh, I lost where I was. The Word talks about working out our own salvation, right? We still have a responsibility to take steps toward holiness, Relying on the Spirit also does not mean that we wait until our feelings are changed to pursue things. So often when I ask people what they think it looks like for the Spirit to empower us, people often mention their feelings toward doing certain things being changed. And while that does happen sometimes, it does not mean you will always want to pursue God or pursue holiness. You can still walk in step with the Spirit and not necessarily feel it. And that's okay. So then what does it look like? What does relying on the Spirit look like? It looks like acknowledging that we are in need of help. It looks like trusting that the Spirit will help us. In other words, it looks like faith, right? Faith that God's promised Holy Spirit will empower and guide us when we ask. Ask for help. Move in the world as if you have already received that help. That's what it looks like to, look in, to step in faith or to step, uh, walk in step with the Spirit. For example, I want to give you guys an example from my own life. This may surprise you, there are, but there are times when my son Alex is not perfectly obedient. I know, he's a saint, but uh, occasionally we have some hard moments, right? And in those moments, there are times, especially when I'm at the end of my rope, like I was this week, I want to speak a little bit more firmly than I should, Right? I'm not like a yeller. Uh, it's just too much energy. But I do want to be a bit. <laughs> I do want to be a bit more punitive in in giving out consequences than I normally am. Right. So what does relying on the spirit in that moment mean? 
It means I step back, I remind myself that responding well is responding in truth and grace, and I ask for gentleness as we work through that problem, right? In other words, I ask, in this moment, am I more worried about helping Alex to develop skills to navigate life, or am I more worried about protecting this like power that I have in our relationship, right? And then I move toward what's going to help Alex and not what's, go- and not what's going to keep my power, right? I step in with Alex. I speak calmly. I rely on the Spirit to allow me to continue to love Alex well in that moment despite my flesh's response, right? Someone who does this well is my wife, luckily. <laughs> I'm very, very thankful that she has taught me how to do that well. Now, do I always do this perfectly? Yes, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? I'm just kidding. No, but that, does that mean that my day is ruined and I just chalk this one up as a bad day when I do fail? Also, no. Relying on the Spirit then, when I have just failed, maybe I have been more punitive with Alex than I should have been, relying on the Spirit then means I keep a short account with God. I confess to him my sin of impatience or anger with Alex, and then I ask for power to apologize well to Alex. And then this one is wild, particularly for men. I apologize, right? And then if I'm feeling particularly spiritual that day, I I thank God for the power to do that, right? Relying on the Spirit is a constant, humble, intentional practice of decentering my flesh and recentering Jesus, the way of Jesus in my life. Okay, now this has been an incredibly individualistic approach to reliance, which is kind of ironic. So, what is a more co- some of you will get that on the way home? What is a more collective and communal approach to reliance look like? Well, there are a lot of ways this can play out. There are two main ways I want to talk about this morning. The first one is prayer, communal prayer. Prayer is an intentional time of entering into communion with God in order to align more of our heart and desire to His. It's also a time to acknowledge our limitedness and His limitlessness, right? In other words, in entering prayer, we recognize that we cannot do this on our own and must rely on God and His power as we navigate our broken world. You know, I think prayer has got a little bit of a bad rap recently. Um, and I think it's actually for good reasons. Most, uh, much of our culture calls the church or tells the church that it has to do more than thoughts and prayers. And I agree. We need to do more than thoughts and prayers in the face of tragedies. And while I agree with that, we are not called to less than thoughts and prayers, right? Does that mean we don't pray? It means we pray and then move, right? Consider what we have talked about in this last month as desires for our church to grow, affirming the dignity of all people, being a church that is present in love to the residents of Uptown, and being a place where shame is transformed into boldness. Do you know how we're going to get there? Do you know how we're going to grow into that? Trying really hard. No. We will take steps to grow in these things, but we have to root ourselves together in prayer, in reliance on God, knowing that the growth of our witness and character in our community is going to come from Him, right? What does Psalm 127 say? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, 
the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those who love. That's, that's a bleak picture, unless you recognize it says, unless the Lord does it, right? In other words, unless we invite the presence of God into where we are going and into what we are doing, we are laboring in vain. We have to invite him in through prayer. And the second way reliance plays out in our community is through reliance. When we make a reminder, when we make a habit of reminding ourselves of our dependence on God, we are more willing to admit that dependence in community. No man is an island, and if Castaway taught me anything, no man can healthily live on an island either. We, we are called into community and, to, and into admitting our needs, even when our pride does not want us to, right? You know, I started my time this morning asking how you would characterize your walk with God. Are you stuck, joyful, surviving, thriving? And I began with the reality that people remind us very often that we live in a broken world. And that can just add some fuel to the fire when we aren't in our thriving state, right? But the reality is this. If we continue to rely on our own power to navigate our relationships with God and our relationships with the world, that stuckness, that surviving state, it's not going to change. We will continue to run into roadblocks, laboring in vain, because we are people who are limited. But the good news of the gospel is that we were never intended to be stuck. Instead, we are invited into a thriving, life-abundant fellowship with God and with each other. Will it always be easy if we are relying on God, if we are walking in step with the Spirit? No, right? We will still have moments where we're not doing okay. We're still going to have moments where governors are committed to deadly tribalism, right? But I also know that we have a God who is far bigger than those things, a God who left the grave empty and defeated death, a God who cares about a relationship with him and a God who has called us to rely on him as we navigate our broken world. We have been given the unbelievable gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide us as we do that navigation. That just, that is a wild thing. If you don't walk away with anything this morning, just like some, some like, that is wild, is quite okay. My call to you this morning, become aware of that need to rely on God and lean into it. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.